1: Hey hey Taylor. Oh hey Michael. How's it going?
0: Good. This is our first film festival discussion in a while.
1: That's right. We're talking about South by Southwest 2021 today.
0: Yeah. You You were going through a move during Sundance which was our last big festival that we had the opportunity to cover and then before that was it New York Film Festival? Was that the last one?
1: Couldn't have been the last. Getting the order mixed up now. I don't. No, we did Heartland
0: and San Diego, and uh,
1: Fantasia. Fantasia
0: was August, but but I'm talking about the most recent. I think the most recent would have been Heartland. We did like a couple festivals in one episode. We did Heartland. We did San Diego and Double um, Exposure International Film Festival. If I'm remembering correctly.
1: Yeah, and that's that's where we covered
0: the Outside Story. If you remember that episode.
1: That's COVID talking, where the order of these have has just become uh, a little jumbled in my Almost memory. inconsequential. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're just talking about three titles today. Um, do you have thoughts on the festival overall, South by Southwest at large?
0: Um... Not too nice of thoughts. I mean, oh. you, you know, it's it's an interesting platform they have. It could have allowed for great networking. It could have allowed for a lot better communication. But basically, it took like at least three or four days of using it every day to get acclimated to what the hell is happening on that platform. It's really hard to search. You have to find out which day something's on after you search for it. Um, and then even if you're registered for something, you all, you often get a graphic error that says that this content can't be played, which makes no sense. Um, But, I mean, it it's interesting to see how they're trying to adapt. It's interesting to see a multi-format festival, since we've mainly covered film festivals. This had comedy and music, which I didn't get too much the first few days. I did spend some time with comedy and music yesterday. I found something, I think it was like Channel 2, which had the island stage for like three hours. And I just found individual after individual that I loved on that stage. Um, two of the female singers that I loved, uh, are Khalifa and Savannah, which I'd never heard before, um, mm. either of them. And then there was another guy that was like hosting a stage, um, on a different channel, but I really liked his rap set. And that guy's name is Kosha Dills. Mm. Um, but he just did like, you know, very, um, like stripped back rap set. Um, and then for stand up. I probably saw 20 standups and about 15 of them were very clearly washed like this was mm. this was not a good first set um, for them to come back to, but there were two, I think both of them are writers um, and both are self-deprecating so they were able to kind of internalize and process. Um, the comedy very fluently, even though they didn't really have a crowd to react off of, which is normally the problem. And those two stand-ups are Chloe Radcliffe and Michael Early. And they were very good storytellers, and they made me chuckle a few times.
1: Yeah, cool. Yeah, coming into this one, I was thinking a little bit about how there was maybe, I don't think there was any festival or maybe even like large-scale event that was blindsided quite as hard as South by Southwest was last year Mm -hmm. when COVID hit. And it was within like a week of the festival um, starting that they had to cancel um, and imagine just like the tens of thousands of people who had already bought tickets, built their schedules um, only to have it canceled and just how devastating that is. Um, It's kind of remarkable to be lapping it now. Um, So on one hand, like no festival has had more time to prepare for Mm -hmm. their their next go at it virtually but they also have a year's worth of people not really being able to film like they ordinarily would because of pandemic circumstances and social distancing and all that um just kind of an interesting um context for the festival this year it's always seemed to me like one of the festivals with one of the blurriest identities just because from a film standpoint just because film is only one pillar of the festival at large um, and it's it's only gotten funkier as I was thinking about it this year because as a general um, consumer the only way to engage with it was with like the one pass it was like $400 for everything or nothing mm-hmm.
0: they don't sell any individual tickets there's no way for a filmmaker to make a profit at this festival and you can register for something watch it and then unregister for it and then someone else gets to use their pass to watch that slot and the filmmaker will get no compensation. Yeah, it makes zero sense.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Inter- interesting details. Um, and, and that and that price tag just feels like prohibitively expensive to me. Um, After when, watching
0: what I watched, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and you you wonder, you know, like when you're experiencing these at home, you 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 kind of have to like step back and think, like, what are these festivals even for? When the when the experience at that point is no different from what people can access two clicks away on any other streaming service. Um, And, you know, when I think about festivals existing to kind of elevate cinema as an art form, I don't know that I love how South by Swell, South by South, South by Southwest can be marketed as like a media event and a networking opportunity um, that I think sometimes, maybe devalues these in some way as a work of art um but um i don't know it's it, it's a it's a very unique festival just because it has all these other all these other components to it um but we'll just concentrate on the art itself today
0: yeah well i mean before we concentrate on the art i, I just have to echo like th- we went to all these other film festivals they had good if not great titles by mm. and large fantasia had a couple films that made my top 20 in special actors Mm. and the labyrinth of cinema. Um, Mm. There's, you know, and that's like a tiny little genre type of a festival. Mm -hmm. VIF, excellent lineup. NYFF, excellent lineup. Sundance had a great lineup of titles and incredible directorial debuts. South by Southwest is like, it's not the bottom of the barrel, but it feels pretty close to it when you're watching all these directorial debuts that are like, like they're they're fine they're not terrible but they're like you know in that if we're going out of 136 to 5556 range um and they have these um you know the special nights or whatever where like every single film that's got a special thing with a limited amount of people that can watch it is a film that already has distribution that is only there for the badge so that they can market more effectively. Like, it's a, it's a totally disingenuous um, presentation and interaction of the art itself um, at, at face value. Like, it's very much just a commercial event in a way that Sundance, New York Film Festival, VIF, did not feel that way. So it's it's really rubbed me the wrong way at, at a lot of different levels. But most importantly, it's like the level of art it's bringing
1: yeah, um, we're not talking about any of the headliners today, but I think there oh, were God. three, and they were all music-related, right? And there was Tom Petty, mm-hmm. Demi Lovato, It's that's maybe not, I, I haven't seen it. it, sounds like that's not quite as much about her music per se. But It's then- like
0: propaganda. That's what it's like. It's a four-episode <laughs> docuseries from YouTube that's already had a release date and then was put in, um, and it just, if you watch it, it just feels absolutely like propaganda. Um, And if you're familiar with Scooter Braun, it feels like propaganda for Scooter Braun because he's the hero Mm. of the documentary. Mm. Um, And he's also the executive producer and he also owns like all the masters for Demi Lovato's new recordings. Ah. Um, And in the first episode, particularly, they say that they're going to tell us the whole truth. And then they also in the same sentence tell us that we'll never know the truth because the documentary that they shot while she was bottoming out will never Mm. be released. So they're telling you two different realities at the same exact time, and there's just there's so many problems with it. And if you like Taylor Swift at all, you have to hate Scooter Braun. Those are the rules.
1: So there you go, folks. We ended up a little bit covering the headliner, actually. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting that they just leaned into the like music film crossover with the headliners this year. And it's interesting, like if you look back at like previous years, at what's been what has headlined before, it's been, you know, much more prominent titles. Uh, They had the Beach Bum Mm -hmm. one year. um, I think the Linklater notoriously releases his stuff there as a, you know, hometown Austin guy. Us was premiering there. They had uh, Support the Girls, one of our our favorites.
0: They had the one before Beach Bum too, right? Um, Spring Breakers. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, So looking at those, it's almost kind of like, what happened this year? Um, It kind of feels like the... Programming I mean, was maybe a little bit lackluster. Well, I
0: think that it's probably largely due to the fact that no filmmaker can make any money at this festival. And that they're out of money, even if they get accepted.
1: Yeah. Not great. Not great. Um,
0: but on that positive note. <laughs> we got movies. We'll concentrate on the art. Yeah. Let's get to uh, first impressions of a couple titles. We've got Oxygen and Every Breath You Take. Let's get to Oxygen first. Je suis où Pourquoi je me souviens de rien? Pour son souffle. That was the trailer for Oxygen, starring Melanie Laurent. What do you think about that one?
1: Well, it was a pretty quick trailer, just under a tight 60 seconds. I am a big Melanie Laurent fan. Um, You know, we've seen movies like this before, where someone's stuck in a box or coffin or some device yeah, like buried. buried i think it's the only I mean, that's maybe the only one that i've seen but buried I, just, the
0: guilty uh lock with tom hardy
1: the one one uh one character shows um it's a little hard to say from uh the trailer alone what this is doing differently from anything that uh, has come before it but um i don't know it, it's it's a cost, to be honest i don't know if this will be any good or not what about you I'm
0: not going to watch it. Hard pass. It's subtitles. uh, Number one. It is like already like, okay, I need to be interested if you're going to make me read the whole time. Because that means that I can't do a background movie. I can't do laundry while I'm watching. And this is definitely a laundry movie for me. Like this Mm. is not something that I'm deeply engaged by. I did not like what I saw out of the visuals as far as the the digital um, graphic effects. Like it did not look good. AHA is already on my I don't trust you list with crawl and Mm. this did nothing to assuage my fears and I mean since it's Netflix it'll probably have a dub version but I can't imagine I would click on that rather than finish watch The Wire or something else that I'm trying to do you know it's just in a in the world of watching all the classic films we are and all the other content there is there's no way I'm going to make time for this not a fucking chance (laughs)
1: think the conversation about oxygen ends here
0: all right on to every breath you take dr clark
1: my best friend she's dead where are you somebody hit her with a car Daphne, listen to me
0: i know what you're afraid of
1: i'm not like that anymore say where you are oh my god her phone had you listed as
0: the doctor the call in case of emergency hey
1: okay. where's my sister I just we're, want
0: to go see it, okay, it. Is Is she okay? Is she okay? Try to calm
1: down. Alright, that was the trailer for Every Breath You Take. What are your thoughts on this one?
0: It's a lot more intriguing than the last film, I'll give it that. Um, it's always interesting when I see a movie that was, you know, scrapped together from like 12 different financiers um, or so that intro indicated where it's like this financing company, this financing company, this production company, etc. But uh, Casey Affleck is the star. Casey Affleck, I believe, is executive producing. He's got a really good eye for stories. Um, I I don't know. that This is kind of one of those where I'm a little bit tired of this genre of the dead wife or sister and then the other person that knows what happened and is, you know, manipulating the doctor. It's kind of an old trite story, but I really like Casey. Um, India Isley, who everybody knows I absolutely love, um, also has at least a small role in this film. Shel Moynihan is a talent. Um, So I'm definitely willing to give this one a shot. I could end up really responding to it, but I I almost can't tell from the trailer. Like I like some of the moments where there's like that dead guy on the floor with the scissors, but then I also don't like like the awkward confrontation, uh, melodrama that was happening between the two male characters. there.
1: Yeah. I think I'm mostly with you on this one. I'm kind of on the fence. I I mean, just, well, I should say that I didn't even know this movie existed until like 10 minutes ago when we were deciding what to do first impressions of. Uh, but Casey Affleck alone intrigues me. We don't see him in that many movies. Um, he just
0: executive produced The World to Come, Vanessa Kirby, Rebecca mm, Ferguson. Really great mm, film.
1: Yeah. Um, the director is um, Yvonne Stein, whose last film was *The* ter- or Terminal, the Margot Robbie one. Um, Ooh. Which I'm worried. Dude, I, did, I understand did not do so hot,
0: um, yeah, that's true, but also, like, it just wasn't good.
1: Yeah, I, I did not see that one myself, but that is what I've heard. Um, I can't really tell if this looks good or if this looks, like, just kind of studio potboiler. I really can't decide, but...
0: It's like it's an interesting screenplay, but we'll see how it pans out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of that, like, a medium-budget adult fair that you always hear is just you know the thing that's evaporating from theaters but it looks like it is in fact going to theaters like i just kind of like that it exists even though Mm -hmm. i'm maybe cautiously optimistic about it
0: yeah i like that it exists because if it does if it's good and it does well that's great if it's bad and it does badly then they'll know that that's bad don't do that again
1: yeah all upside here yes
0: (laughs) All right, on to the South by Southwest titles. Let's start with Violation, Michael. I miss you. Yeah, I miss what we used to be like. (laughs) That's when Dad started calling you my white knight. Brainwashed her.
1: just doesn't do everything you say
0: anymore. (laughs) All right, Michael. Violation. One of my favorite films from Sundance. Stands to reason it's at a lower uh, engagement title festival. It's still, you know, around my top film. You, not so much. What what qualms do you have with Violation? Um, I guess, do you want to explain it to to listeners first? Uh, uh,
1: Yeah, start with a little uh, synopsis of a sort. Um, uh, This Violation is directed by Dusty uh, Mancinelli, along with Madeline Mm -hmm. Sims-Fewer, co-directors. It's sort of a rape-revenge thriller. Uh, We follow two different couples on this trip in the woods. Um, We have Madeline Sims-Fewer in our lead role. She's in a relationship, an unhappy relationship, I should say. Um, She is on this trip with her sister and her sister's uh, boyfriend or husband. I can't remember if they're married or not, actually. Um, And as the formula in Rape... Revenge movies go. A rape does occur in the movie, and this movie is uh, playing with the tropes of that genre and that formula to a degree. Um, anything you want to add thus far? I,
0: I think you're right. I would just say that there's definitely more of a Dexter tone than other rape revenge thrillers go, and that this is, you know, like a, a this is more about a clean kill than just a kill.
1: <laughs> mm. Yes, uh, it is a drawn-out kill, mm-hmm. for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, um, it's it's told in kind of a jumbled timeline. It's mm-hmm. told non-chronologically, which is something that I sort of admire about the movie. It was actually very refreshing when I realized that was happening. Um, I was... Uh, sort of just glad to see a little bit of a risk in in festival fair when I didn't expect that. I don't think that totally works for me. I think there is, um, I think the aspiration is for an effect similar to like what you get with Irreversible Gaspar Noe is Irreversible. I think the chronology or the jumbled chronology just kind of baffled me a little bit more than it did intrigue me. Um, how well did it work for you, that aspect of it? I
0: mean, the first time, because once you know what happens, it's a very different film to watch. And I didn't mm-hmm. really watch it for this discussion. But the first time I watched it, I it was great because I was off kilter. But it was also the tone of the film was the most important thing from timeline to timeline. And you don't really know what the shift is. Um, Like, you know that the shift happened, but you don't actually know where you are. And so you're carrying all the built up propulsion and tension and tone from the previous scene into a different scene that is totally different um, within context of time or in place. And I really liked how they strung the the strings together to make it kind of crescendo in, in certain points and then go go down and then you don't really expect something brutal to happen. And then we cut back to like slitting the throat open. And then you get this great, great scene where Madeline just, you know, begins gagging and pukes on a tarp, which doesn't sound like great acting, but she really delivers a, what I think is a stellar performance.
1: Yeah. It is a visceral performance for sure. There is quite a lot of visceral footage for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I totally, totally recognize that on second viewing, it could snap together for me, the chronology. Um, but yeah, I was almost just a little more perplexed by by some, even just some of like the shorter images we get of sort of the post-transformation um, of our main character. I, I, would, I would argue that she does almost kind of undergo a transformation in this movie, as you would kind of expect, because is a transformative experience. I, I can only so imagine. Sure, so is murder. Um, but I think, the you know, even the timeline aside, the maybe bigger issue for me is this kind of disconnect between the movie on one hand engaging in this kind of realism and this, this kind of atmospheric variety of realism, along with, in other parts, more pure genre. And I just don't think those two um, registers really snap together I think there's sort of the pre-rape world where we're very much grounded in reality and seeing this relationship develop between um, our main character and the man who ultimately rapes her um, and then the the vengeance itself just feels so detached from reality for me in its extremity um, that it, it just doesn't click with anything I, I feel like I had seen previously like I don't I just don't buy any of it. I think the extremity is is a bug, not a feature for me. Um, what about you?
0: Yeah, I just, I had a totally different feeling about it, especially my first viewing. It's, um, I think most importantly, to talk about the film, you have to talk about the, the sound design, which I think is like the, I, I don't know if it's a bug or a feature for you, but for me, it's the strongest feature of the film.
1: And many literal bugs in it too.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, did did you respond to it before I move forward? Uh
1: I, I think yeah, I think I think the sound design okay. is interesting. Yeah.
0: So I I especially leaned into it, especially in my first viewing. Um, really propulsive, really builds tone for someone. And then there's all these little things. Um you said something about like the drawn out kill earlier. At one point Madeline Sims fewer character. Literally puts a glass on a spider, and you slowly watch it suffocate to death. Um, there's tons of these shots that go to these nature shots that show um, animals or or insects and kills. There's a scene of deboning a rabbit and the the, the ripping of the flesh from the bones and the breaking of the bones. Um, there's there's so much um, that that does for me in the autumn the audible storytelling format where um, her silence and her kind of matter-of-factness of of going about this stuff and then her physical revulsion kind of tells me that she's, you know, like she's a complex character. We don't really get to know the cookie-cutter version of this character. We just get to know that she's not a good person outside of the context of this, that she's been a terrible sister and like a bad person, uh, that she's have in you know, a failing marriage. Um, you know, she's publicly embarrassing her husband in, in one scene, um, and like, you know, sharing confidential conversation that they had. Um, and, you know, I like that because she's like, she's a, a clumsy character. She's a, a human character that has flaws and then also goes and does these things. And in the context of the propulsiveness of the audio design and the way it was edited uh, and her performance, I really liked it. Um, I, I don't feel like it leans heavily into genre personally. Um, so I guess so that I can understand better what particulars felt like it was leaning into genre trope. Um, because what the, especially the first time I watched it, I just, it felt totally of itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the extremity of the vengeance she exacts on her perpetrator um, is a genre. I don't, I don't mm. think that is grounded in reality. I don't buy that um, this—I I just don't buy that she was capable of that, um, for one. I think um, the, the ex- extremity is purposeful insofar as it's for the sake of sort of um, subverting the usual trope where we see— a character in rape revenge formulas we see a character raped then we see them have their revenge and that's supposed to bring some catharsis and this is more like well, yeah, but maybe maybe that vengeance could actually be so sickening in itself and so cumbersome and so arduous and just actually as nauseating um I just don't know that I find the the, the point to be that interesting when it's so kind of detached from reality at that point like the original formula, that it's subverting like rape revenge is sort of a fantasy to begin with where like, we don't talk about that as like a thing that ever happens in the real world, you know, women exacting revenge in violent ways. So to try to flip that on, its head, you're just getting like so far away from like practical experience that I don't feel like it's revealing anything more to me about this character as she goes about Mm. what she does to her victim. I just say like, I, I'm not learning anything more about her as a character, and I think that doesn't serve its theme well about consequences and like the emotional consequences. I don't think it becomes any more complex, you know, character-wise. If that makes sense, it
0: does I think I just feel very differently about the genre to begin with. Um, let me let me just totally go in a different direction because I if we stay here, I'll need to think for like five minutes.
1: Understood. Um, and that's
0: not fun to <laughs> do hear. it. That's Pivot. not fun to hear. <laughs> um, so like in the beginning, there's this scene of confrontation where the sister uh, says, if you're going to make me, or if you're going to make a scene or make me feel bad, then you know, you can go, if you want to help me, then you can help me by going and making the ice cream. Um, and there's, mm-hmm. there's this great sound design at that point, And there's this really weird, um, interaction happening between these characters and i know that this movie is about a killer and i'm confused on who she's gonna kill because it's my first time mm. watching it and she's in she's making ice cream with in you know when you make homemade ice cream you can literally put anything in it and at one point as tensions building up in the in the audio we cut as she's holding this glass jar mm. and i've gone the entire film wondering is she going to break that fucking glass and mix that shit in the ice cream and I'm about to watch fucking everybody die Jonestown style from eating glass and bleeding out internally? Was that there for you at all?
1: It was more of a hindsight thing and I do I okay. do like where that ultimately goes. I don't think I had the same... I did, I did not have the same prediction, but uh, that was, if anything, more just like obliviousness on my part to where it was hinting it might go uh and i do like where that detail ultimately uh goes
0: okay um so i know you don't like the process of the kill but the thing that i really like is that she has to get up the ladder and then Mm. go install the the wench the automated wench in order to string him up properly um so that she can bleed him like there's i i like that in the screenplay there's all these little things that she has to do that like if it was a man, it would be a totally different kill scenario. Mm. Um, but that she does it that way. Um, I also, I, I don't, the first time I watched it, I really liked the moment and the um, the atmosphere and like the tension that was uh, occurring from her freeing him as he was suffocating. Um, mm. And just like how tense that moment got. The second time around, I feel like I could have done without that. Um, it, there's a different way that I, I would have probably rather seen that scene go but um, you know just framing it as like two first time feature filmmakers in which you're a writer, a director and starring in for Madeline I, I don't know I really really like the original voice, I like what they did with the audio, I really like what they did with the naturalistic cinematography being edited in to evoke a tone um, that is coherent with the sound design and that they framed the story so that you're not really sure how far this is going to go until the credits roll.
1: Yeah, um I think one of my favorite scenes is where we see Madeline's character have this conversation with the perpetrator. Uh I think they're in like a shed, they're sort of uh um hidden in view from the from the other uh, two yes, characters yeah, she um, him
0: for privacy. Right. Yeah.
1: And they, they kind of have this conversation about what occurred the night before and they start talking over each other. Um, and I remember like so carefully trying to follow what each of them were saying as they started mm-hmm. to talk over each other, because that dialogue is so meaningful in like perspective on the incident itself um, and how, yeah, like I, I think that's like the most real kind of moment and revealing moment in the movie to me. And I think I I could have used more of that kind of thing. I think the, the gruesomeness that the movie really leans into just doesn't tell me that much more about the the repercussions of this incident on her. I think it's purely for the sake of um, playing with the trope. And I just don't think that has as much resonance for me. I kind of respect it, right? Like it's kind of an, it's, it is a corrective to something we see, a lot of which is sort of just the gender reversed scenario, I guess. Um, but I, I wish it spoke more to to her. I, I, I don't know that you, at that point, once she's carrying out those steps, I think we sort of lose her individuality in a way, like because it's so, um, concentrated on the shock and awe of it, if that makes sense.
0: It does. Um, my personal interpretation is that, like, the events the rape and the murder have like totally compromised her character um, mm. and so there there is nothing to focus on because she's just the shadow of these decisions at this point and mm. that's kind of what that last scene is about is like you know the first time I watched that when she's looking around at everyone eating the ice cream I'm like wondering is this shit Jonestown and mm. then her sister puts her hand on her leg and it's like is this a fucking happy ending like I, I like that you know, like, she's someone who has PTSD and is in shock, and the feeling of not having an identity is literally coming through the screen to me, and, like, I don't know who she is right now, and she she had these other moments where she tried to be honest and truthful, but because of her past history of being a shitty person, no one really took her seriously, and then she took really drastic measures and... um you know then there's like a a weird happy ending in the midst of thinking that everyone can die from eating ice cream i i don't know i, I really fucking like it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you, you you talked about some of the visual details i do like some of those little i guess you call them kind of interludes where we're just kind of getting footage of the of the landscape the woods um shots a the lake yeah um a
0: wolf carrying
1: that one not so much. I no. do th- some of that imagery. I think was a little heavy-handed in its symbolism for me. Um, I, I think I could have done less with the with the wolf and the rabbit um, and, and kind of the predator prey stuff. But I do think there was some interesting um, uh, place setting um, in those in those shots and that cinematography. Oh, I um, really like the
0: lake, uh, the the boat on the lake in the middle of beginning the kill. Or Mm. cleaning up the or whatever happens, where she has to go outside and she's like, fuck, who's here? And then she looks Mm. down and there's just this boat and it pulls away. I really like that moment because there's Mm. like all this tension of what could happen and then they just get rid of it. And it just kind of, it plays into how tense you are.
1: Yeah. Um, Pivoting a little bit, the... Madeline Sims' character's boyfriend or I guess he's actually her husband, right? I think mm-hmm. they're married. Yeah. Um, he feels a little bit like a non-character to me. I don't mm-hmm. know that there is enough of him. He's
0: secondary.
1: Yeah. Sure. Um, and I, I that feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity for me, like I would just be interested to see how this incident um informs their relationship a bit more. I think it it kind of does the morning after, but in a very brief sense. Um th- that felt a little thin,
0: perhaps. Yeah. I, I think that mainly your um your qualms here are like the absence of feeling like you know the human that she's playing. Um and that is best brought about by like interacting with other humans, which is there's something there's very little of um, you know. And I, I think I can agree with that. Um, if that's your perspective, like I can agree that it doesn't do that. It's just that I didn't need that to begin with. I, I just kind of like the PTSD affect coming through the screen to me. I didn't like it in, um, God, what was that movie with Joaquin Phoenix? Um, the, the statue murders where he walks through the grass at the end into the mansion and kills everybody and it's yeah, like yeah. really boring uh, to watch the kills you were
1: never really here yeah, yeah yeah
0: right like i didn't i didn't respond to the ptsd there but like here I, I really do like how like she just is not a person she's just someone like a ghost walking around in the world doing things um that goes a long way for me
1: so love it. i guess but like the i feel like the form of the movie kind of reflects that headspace like it is i think you know you could argue that that jumbled chronology is speaking to this kind of confusion that you might experience with with ptsd but she also seems she seems very methodical and focused to me in her when she goes about carrying out her vengeance i mean she is nauseated by it but she actually seems like very lucid and determined and ferocious um I don't know that I would describe her as, as appearing in, sometimes as all that traumatized in a way. She actually seems incredibly determined and clear-headed in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: I I agree that, like, that's there. But to me, that's just, like, symptoms of things like shock and concussions and stuff like that. You know, where you're just, like, you're functioning, but you're not uh, frontal lobing very much to yourself you're just like doing the things uh, mechanically you're not really brooding on the reasoning behind it you're just like doing the next objective
1: mm, yeah um i do like that when we see the incident itself you almost like don't even really kind of know what's going on at first um it's all kind of shot in like these super tight close-ups where i I literally wasn't quite sure what was happening at first. And I think that's great. Like, I like. I think that was maybe the most immersive part of the experience for me, where she was quite literally disoriented and then suddenly realized what is what is happening to her. And I think that's very disturbing. Whereas it's much more often uh, depicted in a very rape can be depicted in a very violent manner, and this is a much more insidious kind of rape scene, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I can agree with that for sure. Uh, building on that though. I, I guess maybe final moments here is the other thing that I really really responded to was the handheld cinematography. I think that the the camera movement here and just the light shake and the the slow changes of angles uh, really does a lot to make you feel like like you could always see a little bit more and like you're anticipating seeing the seeing whatever is going to come into frame with that next camera movement. I really liked
1: that. Mm. I like Madeline Sims' viewer quite a bit, too. I mean, I do think that's kind of impressive to have directed and uh, starred mm-hmm. um, and it, and written, yeah, and not feeling and produced. vain in any way <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, quite the opposite. Uh, that's impressive.
0: Uh, this film's coming to shutter this month. By the time this episode's released, it will have been out for a while, I think. Um, so is there any last thoughts here, or should we do favorite scenes?
1: Uh, let's do favorite scene. What do you have?
0: Oh, uh, you're switching it back right around to me, are you? Right? Well, I can go,
1: but me. it's only because I re- I think I've said it, which is that scene where uh, our main character speaks with her perpetrator. And yeah, just oh, the, the conflicting perspectives there. Um, it, it just feels so oh, true. Oh, you mean when so you said don't stop? Did I say don't stop? No, 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 no.
0: Uh, oh, he says oh. to her um when when they're questioned later um that that she said don't stop and like yeah um,
1: and, it's one of the subtler ways in which the movie is you know addressing gaslighting mm-hmm. um very nicely. Yeah.
0: Um I'm going to go with the the final scene actually which is just her and her sister on this this porch and there's so much that's happened but there's simultaneously like no clarity on what their relationship really is and the hand on, on her thigh and just um, the the relationship that kind of is indicated there or like the attempt at communication um, it's, you know it's one of the first times that the movie kind of goes back to being more human and um, I really like that
1: coming soon to Shutter.
0: On to Stacy Greggs here before
1: Give a little time for the child within you, don't be afraid to be young and free. Undo the locks and throw away the keys and take off your shoes and socks and run you
0: La la. la, 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 la,
1: la the child within you don't be afraid to be young and free onto the locks and throw away the keys and take off your shoes and socks and
0: run all right michael this is a film that stars andrea riceborough and one of was one of the most um probably anticipated films coming into the festival by everyone we've now seen it i think we're both kind of in lockstep on its uh failings and i hope in lockstep on andrea riceborough being awesome what are your thoughts?
1: I think I have to be careful and not make this a boring review, because I think I will echo almost every point you have on this movie. But uh, the Violation was one that has uh, had been circling, circling other festivals. This was a premiere, I think,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: in the narrative competition of South by Southwest. Um, I'm in complete agreement that I think Andrea Riceboro is probably the best thing about this movie.
0: Oh, I can't think of anything that could be better.
1: Word, word.
0: It would literally be a bad movie without her. So, yes, she's the best.
1: Care to describe the story a bit?
0: Uh, yeah, she's a mom. She's married. It's unclear what the deal is with them. We'll get into that later. Um, <laughs> they have a son still. I'm trying not to mix my movies here. Yes, they have one son still um, who did not pass away. Um, we come to realize that she passed away from a car accident. Um, and then some new neighbors move in. This is a multi-family home. So it's like two houses for each of them inside of a house. Um, and their next door neighbor is a family that has a young daughter. That's almost exactly their dead daughter's age. And, Andrea Riceboro is precedingly gaslit and um, presented with the idea of there being a ghost and all sorts of weird, awkward things that don't really actually make cinematic sense as far as how the camera shows the story. Um, And there's a big, really terrible denouement finale that is just like the stupidest thing that you could have done with a screenplay. Does that make sense? Did I get it?
1: I'm pretty much with you. Um, Yeah, You're talking about the supernatural components. I do think the way this movie flirts with the supernatural up until this big final plot twist, which is not supernatural, but really just kind of sensational, is a very poor choice. It feels like it's in poor taste. It feels very cheap. um, And kind of just...
0: And like, totally unearned. Like, there had not been one moment of interaction with the dad and his daughter so to be clear full spoilers andrew riceborough's husband who i'm calling the dad and the daughter who's the next door neighbor's daughter is actually his daughter it's Mm -hmm. very unclear what the deal is there were they (laughs) married when he had you know, relations with that woman, were they not? I don't understand whatever the hell is happening. Um, and so Andrew Riceborough is not going crazy because that girl does actually look like her daughter because they have the same dad. Mm-hmm. And so she's not totally insane. Um it's and there's no glances between the dad and this daughter character or the dad and this neighbor wife character that actually make that storyline at all intriguing or interesting in any facet of beginning to be interesting at all. It's just so bad.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm kind of disappointed by it because I think there was material that intrigued me and I think I like this idea that Andrea Riseborough's character, this mother, is a woman who has kind of already processed her grief over her daughter's loss or her daughter's death or at least managed it or suppressed it and then she's trying to move on. Yeah, and, and she's doing a fairly good job mm-hmm. from the looks of it and then she has something that starts to dredge up these memories and the the idea that there is there are just triggers out there that can just poke at um you know what you thought you had buried like it's a wound um and and make until it starts to bleed again. I like that idea. I don't think you really need the supernatural component of the movie at all. I almost like and, the naturalistic version of this movie where the daughter just has the resemblances. You don't need any of the like reincarnation, another spoiler, sorry, woo woo that like just kind of distracts, I think from the, the, the very thoughtful performance that Andrea Riseborough gives. I think this, this should have been like a straight drama in a way. And the, the genre elements don't add much.
0: Um, I completely agree. So basically you're saying, like if you take the elements of the screenplay and then you make a totally better screenplay with Andrea Riceboro, it's a better movie. And I think I can agree. Yeah, and if it's, it's, a it's a bold idea. It's if it's a, bold a idea. different story, it would be better.
1: Yeah, and I realize <clears throat> I'm getting dangerously close to just trying to like rewrite the movie here, but I think...
0: But you're I, not off track. It would make the movie better. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I say
1: that only because the, the the theme of the story doesn't change. Like, the point here, I think the movie's emphasis is on Andrea Riceboro's grief. And it's trying to do the let's make a horror movie about grief thing when you don't really need the horror elements. Like, I think you just have the fact that your neighbor resembles someone you, you've lost and how baffling that can be, that it feels like your daughter's back when she's not, and how awful that would feel. Um, it's very weird how the camera just glances past a book at one point that just says, like, reincarnation on the the on the on spine.
0: Is that before or after we see uh, their daughter's name tag where it's crossed out and the new girl's name is written on it?
1: it again, those touches not not too fine.
0: Um it's kind of like yeah. hitting a tiny little nail with a sledgehammer. It's really unnecessary.
1: Yeah. Um I think there were some visual elements that you responded well to, right? Yeah. 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 I
0: I do like um I mean the the major marketing shot which is uh Andrew Riceborough looking like She does like forlorn and depressed, but also like the stunning beauty hidden with like very sad eyes Um, in the, in dark rain at night through uh, a window. So there's, there's this great shape to it where there's a a background behind her head. Then there's kind of this middle space foreground in the car. And then uh, on the front, there's these rain droplets. It just gives a, a great effect to kind of feeling trapped in something which would have been great if the film you know echoed what that still image is there's a lot of other camera flourishes i like um how it points directly into the fire um how it points into the um the house or the tree house in the back of the yard as she's tearing it apart um there's a uh Like this unorthodox style where they shoot at an angle that kind of adjusts from the opposite side Mm. of the street when they're walking. Um, That kind of gives a brooding sensation. Like there is interesting camera work. It's just the camera work can't be interesting enough to make a bad screenplay function.
1: Yeah. um, There's very striking drone shots. Um, that give us kind of these you know, the only
0: movie at South by Southwest with decent drone shots.
1: Really? I was going to say, I was not a huge fan of those. They're, they're striking. I don't know. They were a little <clears throat> conspicuous for my you taste. You didn't
0: see 41 movies at South by Southwest. So you hold your tongue. Oh, I've I- seen 41 and I promise you this has the best drone shots.
1: It is all relative for sure. Um, Maybe we were
0: kind of better, but
1: there you go hot thing in docs these days. Gotta get some drone shots in your documentary. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, anything else? I mean... If her opinions are clear.
0: It's as bad as it is, and as disinterested as I am in this screenwriter function of Stacy Gregg, I'm still interested in, in her direction. I think that she got a lot out of Riceboro. There's a lot of people that haven't you know, she's had a long career and she's only recently kind of risen in prominence. Her biggest role, you know, before the last five years was probably something like Oblivion with Tom Cruise, you know? like She's just kind of been overlooked for a long time. And so it's nice to see her used well. I don't know if that's just her overtaking um, Greg or if Greg and her were collaborating, but um, I'm, I'm still interested in giving her a shot as a film director. I'm much less interested in screenwriter and I want as much Rice as I can get, you know, her and Nicolas Cage, the Mandy co-stars. I just want more projects. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I feel like you have actors and actresses that can just really burst on the scene really suddenly with a, you know, role in a prestige pick that gets them a awards nomination. And they're totally different from the kinds of actors and actresses that just slowly, like perfected build their art kind mm-hmm. of like under the radar and then i feel like suddenly people are gonna realize Andrew riseborough is one of those people and that like we should have been paying attention all along much more closely than we were
0: you'll know she made it when like del toro or like inaritu begin casting her in their projects because mm-hmm. then she'll you know get the notoriety where all of a sudden a Spielberg or a source says would be like you know what that would be a perfect wife Mm -hmm. for a gangster
1: (laughs) (laughs) that was here before
0: Stacy Gregg Mm -hmm. on to Natalie Morales's language lessons
1: estar is where you are in a house or in a car or if you're happy or if you're sad A star can even tell you if you're mad. Pero ser! Ser is who you are. From the USA or or from afar. I think some of you from Costa Rica out there. If you're skinny, fat, short, tall. Ser describes you best of all. So if you want to be A star. Which word would you use? Ser. O estar.
0: All right, Michael. This is Language Lessons, directed and written by Natalie Morales, co-written by Mark Duplass, starring Natalie Morales and Mark Duplass. What do you think?
1: Pretty mixed on this movie? Wrong uh, answer. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, <clears throat> this is shot entirely in a Zoom format. It's about Mark Duplass and Natalie Morales. For Morales's those people
0: that don't do Zoom, let's just say video meeting format. There you go. Webcams
1: and shit. Mark Duplass' character is taking language lessons, Spanish language lessons, from Natalie Morales's character. He's in Carino. LA. Carino, yes. She's in Costa Rica. Um, uh, They develop a friendship over the course of their uh, class time together. They learn a little bit about each other. They make some mistakes about each other. They assume some things turn out to not be true. Um, I gather you liked this movie. What did you like about it?
0: I mean, number one, it is charming. It is the essence of charm. Um when you have two immensely likable people and all they do is talk and you see their faces as long as you don't fuck up the screenplay it's pretty easy to like it i think i i mean if you have any misgivings i imagine it's going to begin with the restrictiveness of the shooting style and the camera work and that type of thing but um i think it's a it's a pretty effectively written screenplay um in order to put this in context i should say that this is a film that was made entirely during covid is the only film made during covid that is video style like this that does not reference covid where no masks are worn where it's just life as usual which i think is going to give it legs that last a lot longer than any of these other stupid covid movies that are more self-important because they're talking about the virus whereas this is just like how do we tell a human story in these constraints and so you end up getting a story about a man who is married and um, has a a great relationship one year in and his husband buys him language lessons. And that preceding week um, in between classes, his husband dies who bought him those lessons. And then the relationship between the teacher and the student, which is Mark Deploss and the teacher is Natalie Morales, uh, begins to get kind of, complicated uh at one point um he makes um clear that you know he's become codependent probably um but there's there's a sincere humanity to their interactions there's honesty there's fallibility there's um there's just a lot in a little tiny movie and like there's a few great comedic moments particularly the introduction scene where mark duplass freaks out and hit falls into the chair against the table um I don't know. This is just one of those ones that I I think speaks to a filmmaker out of all these, um, these Zoom style or video meeting style films that have been made. This is the only one that speaks to like a real artistic voice that just happened to use these restraints to tell a story. And I'd love to see them tell a story in a different way without these constraints or different constraints.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head and describing the genius of this movie, which is that it is a pandemic movie that is not explicitly about the pandemic. And I think that's totally I totally agree that like that's what the best pandemic movies will look like because we're just not ready for things that deal with it that, that explicitly without it just feeling on the nose or um and they're overly all overly topical. They're um, all
0: low resolution too. Like they're all mm. bad looking movies, the ones that are about mm. COVID.
1: Yeah. Um and I, I I think it is very sweet. I wish I felt like there was more substance. And I think part of the problem is that I just don't – I just don't – I think a lot of it rings pretty hollow, especially on Mark Duplass's end. I just don't buy for a second that Mark Duplass's character has undergone the loss that he has. I don't know that this movie is quite willing enough to, like, let go of its surface charm and dig into the really kind of harrowing things that are – um, in the subtext, I guess, um, because it really does love the, the sweetness that's on the surface. and I agree that is appealing. but I just I mean, I feel like that that death, that plot point is just kind of an engine for sweetness rather than it is really a loss that resonates.
0: Okay. I, I think that you'd have to change the screenplay fundamentally to do what you want to do. Um, I'm not saying you're wrong. I think that I would probably respond more positively to something like that, but the just the framing devices, they meet once a week. They are student-teacher. They are not super intimate to begin with, even though they begin being... or Natalie Morales be, begins being nice and that's reciprocated. It's still like a new relationship with someone. You're not going to no. overshare. Um, you're, you're still going to be protective um, so I just I don't see him going to that place to reveal that stuff when the entire framing device is you meet once a week someone that you're not familiar with and you know there's there's only so much that you're gonna that you're gonna communicate um, in that that context so I I just think that if you want more personality and you want more about the reconciliation of that day you have to. Spend more time in the locality around that day, and you have to um, really be able to interrogate him. And that's not really what the film's about. The film's more about like two people going through a hard time um, and like communicating with people that you're that are new at some level. Like that's more about what it is.
1: Yeah, but I mean, if you're if you're going to have the the um traumatic experiences that they undergo be part of who they are i feel like you you have to figure out a way to imply that they're really feeling that stuff deep down like do you, do you did you really feel like mark duplass's character had it had his that his husband had died like i don't feel like the weight of death hangs in, is, is in this day, movie at all
0: yes the first day okay. where she calls him back and he answers late and he's in bed um I think that's believable. I think as it continues, Mark gets a little bit out there. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, there's just certain people with with personalities that, you know, don't behave like I would behave in that situation. So mm-hmm. it's, you, you know, I'm not, I don't feel confident saying that, like, that's not how someone would behave. But um, I think the longer it gets, the more hollow he becomes. Um, But some level, I think that that's the restrictiveness of having the monologue into, you know, camera uh, for like an hour and a half. Um, I don't know. There's there's enough charm around the thing for me to overlook the fact that like this sentimentality that is sweet isn't wholly 100 percent grounded reality.
1: You know. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing is, like, I think I'm still maybe waiting for the kind of, you know, film that exists when, in the digital realm, the digital mise-en-scene, or whatever we want to call it, that that engages in something that feels more like realism, where you're right, this isn't really realism, this feels like dr- like a dramatization in a way, in, in, mm-hmm. in and that, that does, in a way that I just don't think totally works, I think these characters just feel kind of flat to me. I mean, I just feel like I'm um, like, I just wish there was more depth to who these people were. I, I don't think the performances really imply that there is so much surface charm and they want more beneath the surface. Um, and I, I think that's hard to do. I think that might just be one of the limitations yet to be overcome with this format. Um, it's how you really dig deep when you get one angle. You only get one angle on the person. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and
0: how personal do people really get when they're not together?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: like, I guess there's some decent phone calls in cinema, but still, that's building off of like a, a personal connection um, that, that's established in other frames. I don't know. I. Like, I, I agree with you, but I, I also I don't get the sense that someone could have done this better, or that this could have really been done better in the way that it's framed. And I really like the the framing choices that she made, like the plot devices, quote-unquote, uh, for this screenplay. Like I think it's really effectively decisioned. It moves pretty quickly from, um, you know, problem between them to problem between them. You don't really sit for too much time without something new to kind of have to deal with with their interpersonal relationship. And I think that that's, that's a promising sign for a first time writer director. I, I think that she's only going to get better. Um, and that's not something that I can say about most of the directorial debuts I've seen at this festival.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it is totally like clear and lucid in its, in its visual presentation but like back to the the idea that like we're we're giving it some credit for being a pandemic movie that's not explicitly about the pandemic at the same time i don't think anyone would look back on this and say that it that the uh, surface really reflects the mood of of this moment which is um a much more much more troubling than i think this movie is really willing to get into and that's Fine. Like I think that's why like it's I, I don't hate this movie by any means. I don't know that I even dislike it, but I don't think it's very willing to let go of its uh sugar coated surface to to get into the, some of the things it's it's so close to like really getting into. Um you know, the the, the movie that better captures the, the the mood of the COVID era I think is going to be a little bit queasier than this wants to be.
0: Yeah, I, I think that we just totally disagree on like the point of the movie. That because to me it's not to be a COVID movie about the COVID moment. Sure. You know, that yeah. speaks to to the Zeitgeist or whatever. It's just about making like a movie in these restrictions in this time. Um, where there are restrictions. It's not about the time, it's just about getting a project made during this time. Um, and I think that at some level anything that's actually going to be coherent about this time will be a reflection on the time, and therefore will not actually be of the time. There's always that, you know, infinite loop feedback where anything that truly encapsulates the time kind of can't come from the time, um, and anything that does come from that time that does encapsulate it won't make sense outside of um, the timeline of people that experience the moment. It's this weird double dichotomy. Um, so I'll, I'll just say that I think that for making like a positive comedy um that like has some melodrama tragedy to it i i don't know i think that you just can't do better with a tiny budget than what she did personally
1: i, I don't think i can argue with that i mean i can totally let go of the pandemic lens and you're right just look at it on those terms that is totally fair to just re- reframe how we look at it in which case it just feels very lightweight to me yes, um it in is that and, and just, it's not just Blue too Jay, for right? Me.
0: I was thinking in context to Blue Jay, which is another Deploss Brothers project, uh, product, project where Sarah Paulson was opposite Mark DePlos, and Mark got to go to this really dark, depressive sadness. And it was really a great performance by him, uh, mainly elevated by Paulson, who's fucking incredible. But um, it, it goes a lot deeper. And at some level, that's also because it was intimate and it was building on a previous history. And I just think that this screenplay, as it was written, was never going to go super deep, but um, I don't, I'm, when I'm looking at this, I'm not like, I want the next Tennessee Williams. I'm looking at this and I'm like, I want like good comedy films that are fun to be directed and written by women. And this is one of the few that like is pretty like coherent. Like anybody could watch it and make sense of it. Even if you never use zoom.
1: I would. Yeah. But I would maybe push back about how like, lighthearted hearted of a comedy this is like there are some amusing moments but like yeah Mark Duplass's character loses his husband we go much of the movie thinking thinking that there's a there's domestic abuse going on then it's then there's a revelation about the health of one of these characters i think it has all of these um signifiers for very real weighty things that it's not willing to engage with and that's okay but i think that means that it ends up feeling pretty weightless if only because it's giving us stuff and, and purposefully not uh being willing to dissect those
0: yeah we'll just we'll we'll
1: disagree i think about why not make it funnier if it was a comedy like why why even put those things in there
0: i mean there's there's a lot of reasons why you do it right to to make a a coherent quick screenplay that can be easily framed like i, I could see like a, a lot of reasons to make these writing choices i think that you're right you're not making like the best film possible but i think that if you're just trying to make something in like six months um or three months or i don't i have no idea what the shooting schedule was this is like let's just bust this out this is a you know a quick project it feels coherent and cohesive it doesn't feel super complex you're right it doesn't have like deep enriching qualities that are you know about the human essence of the soul, but it it does have, you know, um, enough to it for I think it to exist in and of itself. And I, I think that it's a great first swing of the axe to you know make a career by Natalie. Um, it's I, I don't think you're ever going to see the Duplass brothers really make an incredible feat of cinematic structure, but I I would like if they became like an unorthodox. Uh, serious comedy tone that you're not really finding anywhere else you know I'm really tired of the um, the man from Staten Island or whatever the hell that fucking movie was last year mm. like these these empty vapid Apatow projects that are three hours long that you know feel like they have all this dramatic shit but in the end like nothing really happened I'd rather have things be paper thin but have um, a little I I found this film had more resonance than a lot of the Apatow stuff recently so I don't know this is just a a voice that I think I'm biased towards liking. Like I like the development of it to begin with. So everything about it I'm seeing through a little bit of a rosy colored sunglasses.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um I think we're probably approaching it from just two different standards at this mm-hmm. point. Um, yeah, you're
0: looking at like COVID of the times so and I'm like new voices, comedic storytelling from independent cinema um, you know, not necessarily comedy films, but comedic storytelling at some level. This is more broad.
1: Yeah. I just, I feel like I'm hearing lots of qualifiers when you say yes. someone who just wanted to bust it out in six months uh, for this late Oh, lightweight... there's of
0: qualifiers in, in anything coming out that was shot in the last year, I think.
1: True. True. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Agree to disagree. <laughs> And that's Language Lessons. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go.
0: I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you!
1: And that's another one in the can.